All right. Well, good morning, beloved. Good morning. <laughs> uh, welcome, church family. We miss you. We're glad that we uh, are able to hopefully be streaming to you um, online today. Um, would you join me and open your Bibles to the Gospel of John? Yes, we're still in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Today we'll be looking at um, a very, a very special friendship. Um, it's a friendship that um, Jesus only has with his own. And we'll be picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago in verse 12. And we'll just be covering down to verse uh, 17 today. start this morning by reading these uh, verses uh, once through and then after we can um, seek to apply this important text to our lives. So um, let's begin in verse 12. And once again, we begin with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, beginning in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Truly profound words from our Lord um, as we continue this morning, we're in the section of John that is sometimes referred to as the Lord's Farewell Discourse. And over the last couple of weeks, studying and meditating on these words, I've been just trying to imagine the weight with which these words were being received with. I'm trying to imagine just for a moment what it would have been like for um, these 11 disciples that have been first in that dimly lit upper room, and now to be walking under the cover of the night sky, uh, down through the Kidron Valley, and they will come to a rest at the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord will be betrayed. These are the Lord's final instructions for his own, and they are just now starting to begin to understand that Jesus will in fact be leaving them. And although he's been teaching them this for quite some time, his impending death is just a few short hours away from becoming a reality. In fact, um, I've mentioned to you several times as we read through this incredible section of Scripture, chapters 13 through 17, we too need to have the cross of Christ very much in view. For just about everything he says here has in view to it the crucifixion. It's difficult to imagine just how sobering an atmosphere that this would have been to be listening to Jesus 
say the things that he says here as he is preparing them for ministry without him. This in many ways is very much a part of the Great Commission. And mixed in with all these incredible promises of the coming Holy Spirit and his endless love for them, every so often we also see a very clear command. He has commanded them to love one another just as I have loved you. He has commanded them that they must abide in him for apart from him you can do nothing. He has commanded them to obey them and to keep his commandments. And I think we have to pay particular attention to these commandments, understanding that these are his last words that he is giving to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And without wanting to put too much emphasis on this particular uh, text, so to elevate it above everything else, I do think there, there is a certain importance that does come with this passage. And I say that because this is now the second time that Jesus has given this specific commandment in these his final words. It was back in chapter 13, verse 34, that Jesus has already said to them, I give to you a new commandment, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. And then, as if to emphasize this point, he repeats it here in chapter 15. It's instructive, I think, to note that the Apostle John was so affected by this commandment, and it oppressed upon his heart in such a profound way, that as we come to John's first epistle to the church, he expounds this very commandment at great length in the first book of John, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. But the question becomes why? Why is it so important to Jesus that if nothing else, these disciples walk away remembering the command that we must love one another as he has loved us? The answer to that question is found here in John 13, verse 35, because Jesus says, if we love one another, just as I have loved you, then by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. And the reason why Jesus is so assertive in this one commandment is because with our love for one another, we have a particular opportunity of making the Lord Jesus Christ known. We have a particular opportunity for the world to see how far he was in fact willing to save us. And that he loved us. And that's where Jesus will go in this short text. He's, he's headed towards the incredible responsibility that the disciples have to make Christ known to the uttermost ends of the earth. And he says, the way in which you will do this is through your love for one another. So let's just walk through this text together and see how Jesus builds that argument. And I've divided our text this morning into three sections. Number one, the command. Number two, the means by which we might obey the command. And then number three, the purpose of the command. So let's begin with 
number one and the command itself. Notice what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, I mentioned just a minute ago that this new commandment had such a massive effect on the Apostle John that he picks up on this idea in his first epistle to the church. Um, for example, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7, he says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And so the question that we have here is, how is this commandment to love one another both new and yet it is old? And the answer is, it's old in the sense that God has already made this known to his people from the very beginning. It is their responsibility as a follower of Yahweh to love one another. That's why John says this is an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. But what John also points out that there is something new about this commandment. And the newness of this commandment is the extent to which we are to do it. The newness of the commandment that Jesus makes clear here in our verse is to love one another as I have loved you. You are to love one another, but you are to do it in the way Jesus is saying that I have loved you. That really raises the bar, does it not, Brother John? <laughs> I mean, this just blows apart all conceptions of what we have as an idea of how far we are willing to love one another. He's saying, look at the manner in which I have loved you. And that's to be your love for one another. And again, everything we read about here has the cross in view. For as Jesus says this command, he is undoubtedly thinking about the fact in just a few short hours from now, he is about to go and die for these men. And so as we consider this command to love one another as he has loved us, we might pause here for a few minutes and ask ourselves, how is it that God has loved us? And then how do we love one another in that same way? Um, we could spend all day <laughs> answering that uh, question and still not uncover everything that there is for us to, to read. But I want to give you um, three truths that we do see in the text. And the first that we should consider is that God has loved us freely. God has loved us freely. Meaning, when God had set his love upon us, he did it without any need for himself. Okay? God's saving love wasn't born out of a need on his part. Um, it was the freest act of grace that you can 
ever imagine. In other words, he didn't do it out of an obligation. And he didn't do it because he needed some of our love in return. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived perfectly from all eternity past, uh, way before the foundation of the world, way before God ever created man. So he didn't need us, and yet he's loved us. And therefore God gave of himself freely. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still helpless, and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So he has loved us freely. How else has God loved us? Well, he has loved us objectively, meaning God did not love us based upon our own loveliness. God didn't look upon us and decide, oh, I'm going to love them because, oh, Nick is just so lovely. Quite the opposite. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If God had loved us based on our own loveliness, we wouldn't be here this morning. And then number three, lastly, God has loved us by giving us of himself. God has loved us by giving of himself. And what I mean is that God didn't love us by give us something expendable um, to him or something that was left over that he had. Rather, Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, sometimes I think we focus on the part of that verse that says God so loved the world. Um, but what's key in understanding this verse is actually what comes after that because it shows us the extent of God's love for us. God so loved the world that he gave <laughs> And what did God the Father give? He gave us what was most precious to him. He gave us his most precious treasure. He gave us his one and only son. He didn't just give us something extra of that which he had. It wasn't, I've got this expendable thing over here and, and this is what I'm going to give to you. No, God gave us his son God gave us that which was most precious to him. God sent his crown jewel for us. And he has held nothing back. He sent his son to live among us, to die in our place for the forgiveness of sins. And that was God's love for us. So he has loved us freely. He has loved us objectively without preference and he has loved us by giving us of himself. And that's what Jesus speaks to in verse 13 when he says, greater love. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is why Jesus calls it the greatest 
of loves. And I wonder if you've considered that we're all here this morning as recipients of the greatest of loves. In Christ, you have received the greatest of love. If you are here this morning as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received the greatest expression of God's love. He hasn't held anything back. He hasn't given you a watered-down love. He hasn't given you a love that was left over. He hasn't given you a diminished love. He has already shown you in the gospel his greatest love. And what Jesus says is this is how you are to love one another. Think about that responsibility. <laughs> Think about the implications of his love for you. Jesus doesn't say to us, I want you to love one another based upon a feeling that you feel. He doesn't say to love one another based upon a need that you have. Jesus calls on the body of Christ to love one another freely. He is calling us to love one another without any expectation that it will be reciprocated. He says to love one another as I have loved you. Not because of a need that you have that you then want filled in return, but you love because he has loved you. And the truth is, oftentimes in the church, your love won't be reciprocated perfectly. It's a room full of sinners. And sometimes we fall short. And God says, that's okay. Because I'm calling you to love one another in the manner that I have loved you. When Christ gives us this command, he is calling us to love one another objectively. He's not saying when you show up, Show your love to those whom you like. Uh, show your love to those that you feel drawn towards and have points of commonality with. No, he's saying beyond that, you are to love one another objectively. And it's a sad reality in just about every church that there are often cliques that will form and that there will be people who feel that they are on the outside who are not included. And it's a slur on that church for as long as the church allows that to continue. It doesn't demonstrate the love that God has shown us. We are so quick to allow our preferences affect the way in which we love. And what Jesus commands us to do is to love not subjectively based upon our feelings, but objectively. And then lastly... Jesus calls us to love sacrificially. And the place where we see this love demonstrated for us in its purest form is when the sinless, perfect Son of God was nailed to the cross for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. 1 John chapter 3 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, it's rather easy to love someone out of an abundance of something that you might have. Perhaps the Lord has worked in your life in such a way that you have a lot of time on your hands, and so it's easy to give of your extra time to someone. Or perhaps the Lord has provided for you in such a way that you have a lot of extra resources that you can give, and it's quite easy to give out of the abundance that he has blessed you with. But the love to which Jesus is calling us here is a love that goes way beyond all that and says, let me deny myself and take up what my what? My cross. My cross. I am dying to myself for your good. I am giving of all that I have and of all that I am. It is a love that gives sacrificially of oneself. As we this responsibility that we all have, surely it feels somewhat overwhelming. Some of you might be thinking, how am I possibly to be found obedient to this command? How could I be found obedient to love, not in a superficial kind of a way, not in a partial way, not subjectively, but objectively laying down my life? And the answer is by considering the means of obedience. The means of obedience. And this is going to be our second point. Um, because I think Jesus understands the high and lofty res responsibility to which we are being called. And so he says here in verse 14, you are my friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Um, I think the first point that we need to highlight is that Jesus is not saying, if you love in this way, then I will call you my friends. Um, theologically, we know that the scripture teaches salvation is a gift of his grace and not of our works. So then what exactly is Jesus saying here? Um, I believe he's saying this obedience of doing what I have commanded of you to do, namely of loving one another, is not what makes us friends. It's what characterizes my friends. This is what characterizes friends of the King, Lord Jesus Christ. This love, this uh, fruit that will be in your lives is evidence of, it testifies to the fact that you and I are friends. Now let's consider just for a second what that means to be friends with God. Because if this is true in your life, then this opens up a vast ocean of privilege that we can indulge our hearts in our minds in this morning. Um, now, if you read the, the scriptures, perhaps the most frequent relationship that is highlighted uh, between God and his people is that of authority. 
and rightly so. We wouldn't deny that Jesus is our Lord. Um, his word has authority over us. But Jesus is saying something else here. He is saying, you are my friend. I've established a friendship with you through my death upon the cross. And then in verse 15, he goes on to explain what that friendship looks like. And he uses an analogy between a master and of his servant. And he says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. Um, in other words, uh, if you were just my servants and I was just your Lord and nothing more, I would command you to do this and to do that. And you would have to go and do that. You would have to obey me. That was a relationship between a first century um, master and of his slave. But Jesus says that's not the relationship that we have. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not saying that we do not serve him uh, or somehow friendship with him changes his uh, lordship over us. Uh, rather here, Jesus is getting at the intimacy of our relationship with Christ. He's saying, unlike the servant who does not know what his master is doing, look at this, you I have called friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And this, again, demonstrates the love that Christ has for his own. He is, again, reassuring them that I am not leaving you as orphans. I am revealing to you all of these profound truths that the Father has given to the Son, and I'm making them all known to you so that you might understand and that you might rejoice in the task to which you are being called to. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm not holding anything back from you. And when we apply this, we also, we too can rejoice because we have even more. We have even more. I mean, we sit here this morning, every single one of us has in our hands the full canon of scripture. Genesis to Revelation um, contains all of God's good plans for us. And there is nothing that he's kept from us that we need in order to proceed. So he calls on us to love one another. And if we should ever ask why, why, we can go to this book and it tells us God is a holy God and we were his enemies. Uh, we had sinned against him every second of every day. We had no interest in him at all. And yet while we were his enemies, he saved us. How? Through the death of his son. And now that he has brought us out of the darkness and into his glorious light, he now declares us to be friends with the living God. Now, if you're, you are God's friend, then you must ponder that relationship. You see, this is the argument here that I think Jesus is giving. He says, you guys have got to love one another in the way that God has loved you. Freely, objectively, sacrificially. That is the manner in which you are to love one another. And we might sit here today and say, how on earth do I do that? And what Jesus is saying is consider the fact that you have been made friends with God. 
consider the fact that you have been made friends with God. The, the, the argument that Jesus is making is that you understand the grace that you have received in the gospel, so then you are enabled to fulfill your responsibility that he's called you to. It, it doesn't work the other way around. To do it the other way around is to turn this whole thing into a works-based salvation and you will utterly fail. But as you consider the grace that God has made manifest in your life, specifically here drawing attention to the fact that you are a friend of the living God, and as you dive into those thoughts day after day and renew your mind and renew your heart with that truth and meditate on the reality of friendship with God, then then you are enabled to love one another in the way that Christ has called us to. And let me just add this from my own experience. If the truth of friendship with God is not deeply embedded into your heart, you will not love one another as Christ has loved you. Though we are new creations in Christ, we all have all sorts of baggage that we carry with us that we bring to the table. We all have our different issues and whatever it is that has gone on in, in your life and however it is that the, the Lord has worked it out, there are things that would still stop you from loving one another freely. You know yourself and what it might be that would hold you back from laying down your life and becoming incredibly vulnerable and loving one another. For some of you, it's trust. Others of you are crippled out of fear, your fear of being rejected, of your love not being reciprocated, whatever it is for you, it is stopping the church from being who the church is being called to be. And what Jesus is saying is consider friendship with God. Consider the fact that God has shown you his greatest love and you are now his friend. And because you have friendship with God, you are now free to love others objectively, freely, sacrificially. And it doesn't matter if you don't get that same love in return. It doesn't matter if the person is really, really hard to love because guess what? I'm a friend of the living God. God has declared me to be his friend. And in his grace, we are forgiven. And because of that, he commands us to love one another with that same love. You see, it doesn't matter what I lose in this, because at the cross, friendship was, with God was made a reality in my life. <clears throat> and so... One of the applications that, that flows out of Jesus' argument is just how diligent that we need to be to pursue the thoughts of God's grace in your life. You cannot afford to be complacent with your consideration of the gospel. It needs to be a real spiritual discipline that you would get up and preach to yourself each morning the gospel of grace into your heart. It has to be a reality in your life that before you run out the door and go and begin your, your day that you repeat, repeatedly remind yourself that I am a friend of God. I fear far too often that we limit the gospel 
to the work of salvation that God did. But the truth of the gospel is so much greater than a past event. And if you apply it to your life each day, it will minister to your heart in such a way that then you'll be free to love in the way that God has commanded us to love one another. And it needs to be a message that we're all speaking to one another regularly. And I think about all the conversations that happen here in the Sunday mornings and when we gather to break bread together and in our homes and how privileged we are to be able to speak the truth of the gospel into one another's lives. And I just hope that within all of those conversations, we are reminding one another that we have friendship with God. Don't underestimate the value of that ministry. That's a small ministry that will oftentimes go undetected. But don't underestimate the value of the encouragement you bring by speaking the truth of the gospel to another brother or sister in Christ. To remind them of what it is to be forgiven of your sins. To be made right before a holy and just God. And to be counted as God's friend. Do you have any idea what kind of encouragement that you can bring to someone by simply saying, isn't it great that we can come here and gather here this morning as friends with God? That there isn't a single sin that God holds against us? Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Not because of anything we've done. In fact, in spite of what we've done. And we stand here this morning as we sing songs together as friends with the living God. Bathe your soul in that truth. It is the means by which you will then fulfill your responsibility in how you love one another. Well, from there, uh, Jesus closes up this short passage and he moves on to the purpose. The purpose, what is the purpose? Uh, why must we love one another in the way that God has loved us? He says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, now again, what is it that uh, Jesus is saying here? It seems almost out of nowhere that he just pulls in the, the doctrine of election. He says there in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So where is this coming from? What is Jesus saying here? Um, I think it seems to me at least that he's drawing attention to the fact that this is not about you. And as he goes on here, he gives us the purpose of why we are to love one another. So he begins by saying, you did not choose me, but I ek lego. Uh, this is where we get the term elected. I electo. You did not choose me, but I electo. I chose you. You were elected as God chose you out of his grace. And then he talks about your appointment to bear fruit. Now, when he, we think about uh, election, the fact that God has chosen us based on no merit of our own, it's enormously humbling. But I don't think that's what drawing, 
Jesus is drawing our attention to here. What Jesus is drawing our attention to here by mentioning you didn't choose me is the purpose by which, why God has elected you, by which God has chosen you. The responsibility that we now have because he chose us. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I am commissioning you. Uh, this is your job description. And since you are chosen, it comes with responsibilities. And the responsibility that you have is to go and to bear fruit, to be my representatives, to be my instruments. And through you, I will produce a harvest for myself. There should be some kind of evidence in your life that you've been chosen by God and I have appointed you that you will go and bear fruits. This is powerful. And then notice what it says next, and that your fruit should abide. Remember this word abide? We, we've run into this over the last couple of weeks, abiding in the vine. Um, it's that word meno. It means to stay, to remain, to continue. There will be a testimony a fruit that remains, that continues long after you're gone to the fact that I have chosen you through the gospel of my grace, that they were one of mine. This is powerful, beloved. And so within the context, we understand that what Jesus is talking to here is the responsibility that we have to love one another. And as you love one another, there is going to be a manifestation of God's glory in your life. And it will go on. It will continue. As you love one another, there's going to be a mark on a map that says, here was a follower of Christ and look at how they loved. See how from their hearts flowed rivers of living water. Look at the downstream effects of their life. Look at how many people were affected by the glory of God through their love. Now, I'm not saying here that this comes without the proclamation of the gospel. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. But what Jesus is saying here is, is that the two go hand in hand. Preach the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, but oh, how you need to love so as to bear witness to the gospel in your life. Um, as I have said before, this message had a lasting imprint on the Apostle John. In fact, um, John picks up on this very idea in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 12, he writes, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now that's a very interesting statement. No one has ever seen God, but when you love one another, his love is perfected in us. Um, the verb there is perfected carries the sense of completion. Um, it's not so much a moral uh, perfection because we know that we will never love perfectly um, on this side of glory. But what he means is, is that God's love is now doing in you 
and through you what it was always intended to do. When we love one another, God's work is now doing the very thing he intended it to do. If we love one another, it is the evidence that God abides in us and his love is being perfected through us. Now what's interesting is this verse here in 1 John is drawing on a similar point he made back in his gospel. You might remember this. This goes all the way back to chapter 1 of John's gospel. He wrote in verse 18, No one has ever seen God. Same words here as in, as in 1 John. No one has ever seen God. But here he says at the end, Jesus has made him known. Okay? When we get over to John's first epistle to the church, he says no one has ever seen God. But when we love one another, you make him known. <laughs> see, see how there's this um, handover, this Passover that Christ is doing with his apostles. Jesus knows the cross is by hours away. He's saying, I'm not going to be with you much longer, but I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit will abide. Your fruit will continue. And the progress of the gospel will continue to spread, even though I am God, as you love one another as I have loved you. What a profound truth. And for John and the rest of these disciples, I can only imagine what it must have been like having these truths pressed upon them as they look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he says to them, you have got to love one another, and this is how the world is going to know me. Do you realize that your conduct inside of this church, that your life as a believer outside of the church during the week as you're going about living your life, that there are people who are looking, who are drawing conclusions about the Lord Jesus Christ based on how you conduct yourself. Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruits. And so wherever we are, and believe me, the world is watching. The world is watching. Um, if we are not living with a God-like love, in our life, in and outside of the church, then people will look upon our life and conclude that God's love isn't really all that special. They will look and they'll think, I don't know why I would ever want to be associated with that God. But what Jesus is saying here is that you, when you love one another, not subjectively, but objectively, in a self-sacrificing kind of way, in the laying down your life kind of a way, then God will be known. Then the world will look at you and say, they've got something that I know I don't have and I want it. That should be their conclusion when they look upon our life because they see how it is that we love one another. And if that's not their conclusion, it's not so much a fault on their part as it is a fault and a, and a smudge against us. Because we are not loving in the way that God has called us to love. And so as we consider this morning about the footprint that this church body, this fellowship, this family of God is going to leave behind where God has placed us here in Antrim. 
and what God might do through the body of believers here, we need to understand that one of our top priorities as we go about our lives, as we come together here and, and worship as the family of God, is to love one another in the way that God has loved us. Setting aside all of our preferences to love one another freely and to love one another sacrificially and laying down our lives because this is how we will make God known. Um, that's the end of the sermon for today. I pray that it has blessed you. Brother Don is going to close us in prayer today. God bless. Awesome Heavenly Father, um, thank you for Pastor Nick and, and his uh, faithfulness uh, to come to this church and, and uh, even though there's an ice storm going on out there and uh, uh, we're going to do our best to, to get him back home safely and um, you know even in the midst of, of this broadcast we, we're experiencing technical difficulties but somehow God has a way of God, you have a way of, of um, making making it right, and and uh, our love our love for J Jesus Christ and the Word of God um, hopefully will shine through, um, because uh, you know as as Pastor was talking about, we need to love one another, and and um, and he and I have, have both seen how this church uh, from the ground up. Built on, on the Word of God as a as a firm foundation, and uh, um, even though you know people are, are sick and, and and not being able to, to congregate together, uh, um, we're we're still seeing uh, some progress, and and uh, you know we just we love you, Lord, and and we're here. Uh, we want to be faithful. As, as we are called to, to do so. And um, um, we, we just love uh, serving you and, and, and uh, we can't wait to get back together. There's, there's, a, there's a longing in everybody's hearts and, and it's, um, it's weighing heavy on, on us and, and we just, just know that, that you are loved and, and uh, stick, stick to the word of God. Uh, you know, meet with him every morning. Um, his mercies, his grace, uh, it's, it's, all, it's all fresh and, and new in the morning. Um, so we look forward to everybody gathering again. And, and um, Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.